If you are dealing with osteoarthritis symptoms and you're trying to find a way to still enjoy pickleball and not have to worry about any exacerbations or flare-ups, then this is an episode you're definitely going to want to listen to. Welcome to Pickleball Physio, a podcast where we talk about injury prevention and recovery so that pickleball athletes can stay on the courts longer and get back on the courts sooner after injury. I have a super special guest on today, Dr. Alyssa Kewen. She's a physical therapist who owns Adventure Alive, where she specializes in osteoarthritis and getting people back to doing what they love without worrying about their symptoms or that medical history. And she's bringing that wealth of knowledge in this conversation specific for pickleball athletes. So without further ado, my conversation with Dr. Alyssa Kewen. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pickleball Physio Podcast. I'm super excited to have a very special guest and another fellow physical therapist, Dr. Alyssa Kuhn. Uh, she is from Keep the Adventure Alive, where she specializes in osteoarthritis. And obviously, I could say many great things about that, especially with um, more and more people as we get older, we tend to have these changes in our body. And Alyssa has done a really great job in reaching out to a very wide audience in helping osteoarthritis become something that's not to be afraid of and something that you can continue to uh, age well and age while having fun. So Alyssa, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what Keep the Adventure Alive is and how you got it started. Absolutely. So it kind of stemmed back to when I graduated from PT school. Right before that, I was able to get into an independent living facility and see, I mean, the average age of this group fitness class I led was they were in their 80s, 90s plus, but they were able to they were, some of them were running in relay races. They were able to squat full depth. They were able to jump. I mean, we were doing things that typically you wouldn't see an 80 year old doing. You would think, you know, seated exercises, that's what we need to do. Gentle things. But then once I graduated from physical therapy school and I went into home care and I was primarily seeing people after total knee and hip replacements, but also just general joint pain and lots of other things. I saw the other end of the spectrum that in the independent living facility, these people were thriving, no shortage of joint pains, joint aches, et cetera. But then these people in, when I was seeing them in their homes were 50, 60, very young and unable to leave their homes because of pain. They were maybe dealing with pain for decades because they didn't have the information of, or didn't have the knowledge of that, the options that were available. And whether that's, you know, lack of healthcare in their area, lots of different things come into play, but I started to think, okay, I need to figure out a way to bridge this gap. How how can we get to people? Because I know that if you're listening right now, especially if you're you know, playing pickleball, loving sports, you want to be in this camp of being 80, 90 and still being able to move and choose what you want to do and you know, have your independence, not lose it at 50, 60. So I got to thinking, okay, how can I get these people before they slide down this black hole of pain and weakness and all of these things? How can I get them to be able to continue to thrive at these later ages? And so that's kind of how Keep the Adventure Alive came to be. And I realized that osteoarthritis was one of those primary barriers when it comes to what is holding people back from getting to this point of, you know, thriving in their later years, not necessarily just physically, but mentally as well. 
And then I started diving in and then I moved into, I moved to Utah about three years ago from Ohio and there's lots of adventures out here. And that's kind of where keep the adventure alive stem from, because it's like, no matter what age you are, you want to be out hiking and just enjoying the outdoors instead of just watching everything from your couch. So this is kind of stemmed into this whole keep the adventure alive, stemming into providing hope and optimism for people with osteoarthritis, because I've honestly found that, and I'm sure that you also are in the same camp of that it becomes this, once you've been told that you have osteoarthritis first, it's like, oh my goodness, I have an old person's condition because that's what it, that's the stereotypes around it. And, you know, you know, I just have to get surgery because it's this mechanical issue of wear and tear. So I just have to get a new joint, but that's actually not the case. And that's, and research has been starting to really kind of dive into how you can find treatments naturally, how you can avoid surgery, or even if you've already had surgery, how you can optimize your recovery through inflammation and all these things that we'll probably get into, but there is hope. And that's one of the, I think, most powerful statements that I've found to show people with osteoarthritis is just simple movements. It doesn't have to be anything complicated. And so that's kind of where I've been at um, these past few years since we've been in Utah. And it's been a crazy ride, um, but it's been awesome and very rewarding just to see that filling the gap of this, breaking through the doom and gloom, filling that gap of, okay, here's what we can do. Here's what you can start. You know, Here's how you can thrive even with osteoarthritis. So kind of the long-winded answer. I love it. I love it. I mean, seeing, seeing your journey and your story and how you were involved in the world of, you know, physical therapy and how this opportunity presented itself and you saw the need and you filled the need. And it's very clear. You're super passionate about this opportunity that you can help guide these people to, because in reality, like you were saying, just because you have this, Oh, you know, stereotypically sounding old person's diagnosis, you're helping to break down the stigma and show these people how much their body is still super capable of, regardless if they've had surgery or if they haven't had surgery and seeing what their options are right now. So don't worry about the long winded answer. It's so exciting to hear all of that. And I like that you mentioned how research is showing how many options there really are there and kind of breaking down again, all the stigma that we've had around osteoarthritis all these years and showing people, you know, Hey, there's still hope. You can definitely keep adventuring, especially in such an outdoorsy area like Utah where you're at. Sure. And especially since I feel like it's being diagnosed younger and younger. And I have a lot of people who are in their thirties and forties and get this diagnosis of you have osteoarthritis, you know, technically a condition that doesn't particularly have a cure. It can be really scary. And I've had people describe it like, Oh, it feels like a stab to the heart because then you think of everything you like to do, especially if you are like you playing pickleball or playing other sports, it can be a lot and it can feel really heavy, especially when you're not really given options. It's, Hey, you have this, you'll likely need surgery. I'll see you back in six weeks or six months, whatever it is. So that's, I think the biggest thing is that I think as we're finding more out about it, it's we're being able to detect it younger and younger, but just Mm. because you have this condition doesn't particularly mean it's a death sentence. Doesn't particularly mean you have to give up everything. We just have to work 
a little bit differently to find out how we can overcome the pain and how you can continue to keep your joints healthy. Absolutely. Which I think is important, right? Even though we're getting the information early, it doesn't mean that it has progressed severely that like you said, it's a death sentence. So I want to get a little bit nerdy about osteoarthritis for a little bit for the individuals who maybe have heard about it or are kind of dreading a potential diagnosis of osteoarthritis. Can you share a little bit about what actually is happening in the body and what parts of it do we need to be concerned about and what parts of it are really not that much of a a huge concern for us when we hear it? Basically, if I was coming to you and saying, hey, I have osteoarthritis, what would be what you would hope people would be hearing in their head or thinking about so that it's not so intimidating? Sure. So osteoarthritis is very common. And first of all, you know, when somebody says, hey, I have arthritis in my knee, they're likely describing osteoarthritis. It's one of the more common types of arthritis, but there are also other types. And I just kind of want to briefly touch on this. There's rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and then there's a couple other ones that perhaps aren't as common. Um, But osteoarthritis is really characterized by just a couple of symptoms. Now, just looking at an x-ray and seeing changes in your joint, whether it's decreasing the space between that you have, say between your knees. So you have um, adequate amount of space between your joint, but then sometimes it can get a little smaller and you can lose cartilage. Just by looking at an image, you can't particularly diagnose osteoarthritis. It also, you also have to take into account these symptoms because our bodies just have general chain. I like how you described it earlier, just changes. It's not always negative. It doesn't always cause pain, Um, but you do have changes just like how a car, you know, you have changes in the, you know, how it works, et cetera, as it ages, we have the same thing, but just looking at those, you cannot see, oh, this person definitely has pain because two people can have the same x-ray and one person can have very severe pain and other, this other person could have no idea that their x-ray looks like that. So you also have to take into consideration some of these other symptoms, one of them being morning stiffness, meaning you have stiffness within the first 30 minutes of the morning, but once you start moving, it tends to go away. In rheumatoid arthritis, it tends to last a little bit longer, um, but for the most part, it tends to go away with movement the more you lubricate the joints. Pain can be a symptom that you experience. A lot of times it's on one side of the body, but may spread to other parts. So a lot of times it starts, say, on the right knee, and then it maybe can move over to the left, but most of the time it starts on one side. Rheumatoid arthritis, likely you'll see it on both sides, and it'll be about the same. Um, And so pain is another one. And then also just you may have some other symptoms like swelling can be common, um, feeling weakness or instability. So these are kind of the symptoms that you take into account along with an image, whether it's an x-ray, an MRI. But what happens inside the joint? And usually, I mean, this is a very, very superficial kind of a lay person's way of looking at it. This is obviously very, very complicated. And if you want more information on that, there's tons on the physiology of it. But essentially, you have a a level of chronic low-grade inflammation in your body. But when you have osteoarthritis and some of these other 
common uh, lifestyle factors, you can build up higher levels of inflammation in your body. And what happens is these cells can go and wreak havoc into certain joints. They can make cartilage less efficient. They can irritate some of the structures around the joint. They can make some structures thicker so they don't move as well. There are a lot of things that these inflammatory cells can do. But what's actually good news, aside from the like wear and tear theory of you've essentially done the damage and there's nothing you can do about it, this whole theory of inflammation is actually good news because that means there's actually something you can do about it because there are a mm-hmm. lot of factors that influence inflammation. In carrying increased fat mass, that can increase the level of inflammation in your body, which is why weight loss is usually one of the things that's recommended, mm-hmm. but it's because you can de- then decrease the level of inflammation. Also lack of activity. Mm-hmm. If you're sedentary, that can drive up those levels. But on the contrary, if you're doing too much, if you're constantly stressing your body, that's also going to raise the level of inflammation. So it's finding the balance of activity that's important. Um, The foods you eat, the stress that you're under, lots of different things can play a role in increasing this inflammation. And so I think that that would be one of the things that I would want somebody to know that if they have osteoarthritis, it's not just looking at physical things Mm -hmm. because movement gets blamed a lot. Oh, you know, I moved too much when I was younger or I haven't been moving too much with which some of that does hold some truth, Mm -hmm. but there are also other factors. And I think it's keeping an open mind of the foods that you're eating and all these other factors can play an influence in these levels of inflammation, which then can decrease pain, decrease stiffness, If you can address these, the hard part is though, finding out which of these factors you should prioritize because it's of course going to be different for everyone. So that's kind of, I think the biggest thing, because Mm -hmm. once you can wrap your head around, okay, if I take a look at some of these factors and reduce the level of inflammation in my body, then I should be able to find some degree of Mm -hmm. pain relief. And so I think for just first starting there, so you don't slide down the path of there's nothing I can do frustration, overwhelm, et cetera. Not saying that this journey is easy by any means, but having that open mind, I think can really help in the psychological um, fashion as well. That So it doesn't feel so heavy, that it does feel like that there can be something you can do about it. Yeah. And I love what you said about how, yeah, it is more than just the movement. There's a lot of other factors that play a part. And it's not just that, oh, your body's getting old. It's not, oh, your body's getting old. It's it's a bunch of different factors that play a part in this inflammation in your body. So I love that tool that, you know, people who are listening or people that you've been talking to all along the way are now able to say, oh, okay, if I've been told that I have osteoarthritis, I need to be looking at, okay, what in my life could be contributing to this increase of inflammation that's aggravating any of these symptoms rather than just saying, oh, I'm, I'm doomed. There's nothing I can do, which makes me then say, and kind of want to bring the topic on, is that one of the reasons why just getting a surgery or any other, you know, single form treatment doesn't always resolve the issue because it's only addressing the one part. It's not looking at the whole body. Is that safe to assume? Yes. And I think that that's also important because when you're thinking about that wear and tear theory of, okay, I've done the damage, there's nothing I can do. 
then you think there's a mechanical solution. So if I just get a new joint, things will be great. But after seeing hundreds of patients after total knee and hip replacements, that's not always the case. And if you have continuing lingering pain, you can have continuing loss of range of motion that you may not get back. And this is not to perhaps scare you of surgery. I mean, of course, there are a lot of people that do really well with it, Mm -hmm. but I think it's important to look at the preparation of it. If we don't clean up some of these lifestyle factors, like perhaps the food you're eating, um, weight loss is a part of it, but I have, I mean, a lot of people are like, you know what? I have to lose like 60 pounds before I can get surgery. It may not be that of course, weight loss can be helpful, but it may not have, you know, as significant of a role and it's hard. It's really hard. And so people are just stuck in pain for years, decades, because they're trying to just lose that weight. They're trying to constantly chase that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've met people that, you know, are overweight that have had success with surgery. So, but you have to look at these other factors though, too. Again, like looking at the stress, if you're constantly under these, um, under stress, not eating the greatest foods, not getting enough sleep, and then you go get surgery, odds are you may not have success or you may not have the most success Mm -hmm. that you could. So I think it's really important that before just jumping into surgery, really thinking about, and at least trying to get some of these things under control, building up strength is of course, very important to help optimize um, surgical outcomes, learning how to move in ways that actually feel good and start to promote some more blood flow and start to promote some perhaps maybe a little bit of healing before going into surgery. So that way it just makes things a little bit easier because the weaker you go into surgery, it makes things so much harder. And because you're relying a lot, say on the other leg and you have to, you know, move in different ways because now you only have one limb that you're relying on, et cetera. And so I think it's important to really kind of sit down and think about these factors, what could I improve on before going right into surgery? Because that could make a huge difference in how you come out of it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so with that, I know a lot of people who play pickleball and maybe get this diagnosis of osteoarthritis or end up having surgery. One of the most common questions is, so how soon can I get back to pickleball? And I understand, you know, that a lot of times it really depends, but in general, what is a milestone or a checkpoint that you usually look for when you're working with people who are post-surgical that helps you to feel confident in telling them they can feel confident getting back into playing pickleball? So I think it's important to really think about the movements that are required with pickleball. And this is even with, so I see a lot of people before surgery, um, right now. Mm-hmm. And there, are, this is kind of a twofold. So whether yes. you're recovering from surgery or you're trying to perhaps avoid it and you're mm-hmm. trying to keep your joints healthy so you can continue to play or get back to playing. I think you have to think about what's required. And I am not perhaps a pickleball expert like you <laughs> are, um, but I know the general gist of it. Yes. And It's basically tennis, but a little less intense, meaning you don't necessarily have to be able to, you know, move as quickly or go as far to, you know, get the ball, et cetera. Um, See, but you have to think about it in a, in a typical pickleball game, are you moving sideways? 
Do you have to move backwards? Are you moving quickly? Do you have to react? And I think that's really interesting because a lot of the formal, say, physical therapy or a lot of the uh, recovery movements require moving slowly, require, you know, moving not in different directions, which is interesting because that's what you need to do. And I think when you're told that you have osteoarthritis, it's slow down be careful, you know, don't try to move too quick. But if you want to get back to a sport, you absolutely have to do that. And what I found is that actually higher impact type things and moving quickly is actually possible, but you have to train that way. And so I think that's what you have to think about. Of course, after surgery, you know, you have to go through the typical recovery, typical protocols. I'd say, you know, around six months or so, um, is kind of the hallmark. Of course, it's going to depend on the person. Mm-hmm. You have to allow for joint healing. Mm-hmm. Now, higher impact is absolutely possible, but you have to train that way. You can't just, you know, do a few, perhaps maybe a few squats or do some calf raises where you're, you know, you're raising your heels. Some of the typical movements that you see, maybe move a little bit side to side and then expect your body's going to be ready to play pickleball, especially right. for, you know, a few matches or whatever. But if you start to add speed to certain movements, okay, you're moving sideways. Now add a little bit more speed to that because mm-hmm. power is what we're chasing. Muscular power is strength with speed. If you're just constantly strength training in ways that you're moving slowly, which of course does have some benefit, not saying you have to do everything fast, um, but a good mixture, you have to add speed to certain things. Now try standing up quickly and then sitting down slowly, standing up quickly, sitting down slowly, because what your body is doing is generating strength quickly. If a ball's coming at you in pickleball and you have to move to get it, you're generating strength quickly to move in certain directions. So I think it's important to think about, are you training your body in a way that's going to facilitate sports performance or higher level performance? I think a lot of times we just get stuck in this mindset of whether you were told this or whether this fear or hesitation is just induced in you, um, that you just have to take things slow. You have to be careful. I have to make sure I don't move in a certain way or else it's going to make my knee feel weird or going to make my back feel weird. You have to be able to train in a way that's going to uh, contribute to your success in sports. And I think that a lot of times we stop before then and don't get to the point of these higher level things, but then want to go play tennis or want to go play pickleball. And that's a lot to ask for your body. So then maybe you get an injury or maybe you have more pain, et cetera, swelling, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said about how it really is training back up into the sport in ways that imitate the actions that we do in the sport. Cause you, you're absolutely right. In a lot of typical settings that we'll see, you'll just kind of get the strength back. So the pain's gone, but just because you've resolved the pain for that moment, doesn't mean that going back to those high level activities will not re-aggravate it. So I love, I love the focus on, yeah, we need to be training up and bridging that gap between, you know, when we get the joint healing to the level of activity that pickleball actually requires. So with that being said, is there a lot, I mean, 
as you're describing doing st uh, strength and speed exercises as a recovery or kind of a rehabilitation activity, I imagine that's something that people can be doing before they even have any issues to help mitigate any potential onset of those symptoms. How, what else would you add to that? Because the same thing applies. I mean, even like for us, I mean, I'm sure that you are, you know, doing some sort of fitness routine that is going to, that adds in a little bit of that power. Mm -hmm. And same thing with me. I mean, with skiing and other, other high impact exercise, just because I don't necessarily have joint pain, you're of course trying to prevent that by making sure your joints are prepared and your muscles are prepared to generate that force, generate that strength. Um, and so I think that that's really important. Are you, and asking yourself, are you training your body in a way that is somewhat similar to the sport or the activity that you're doing? And if you don't do that, then you open the doors to, like I mentioned before, injuries, pain, et cetera. Um, I also think another thing, and one of the probably biggest things that I see as far as a gap in, well, actually two things, a gap in fitness programs that I typically see, or just, you know, physical therapy programs, whatever it may be. One is variety. So moving in different directions. And honestly, just this simple thing can make a big difference. If you have osteoarthritis or just, like I said, if you don't, but want to stave it off or prevent it, you have to train your body in different directions. We spend so much of our time moving forwards, mm -hmm. walking. And then you, if you walk for exercise, that's more forwards. So you have to be able to move in ways like moving sideways and moving backwards, simply just stepping sideways and simply walking backwards. I mean, if you're brushing your teeth right now or tomorrow morning, just try simply stepping side to side. And you may, you may be surprised at how quickly your hips start to fatigue because we don't move that way very often. And same thing with backwards, even just walking backwards. These two things can really start to induce some pain relief if you're having it, or it can also help to build those muscles that we don't typically use throughout the day, unless you're being conscious of it in your training. And the other one is balance. And I just actually did a podcast episode on this because especially if you're going to higher and higher level things, sports, et cetera, balance plays an incredible role. And I like to kind of think of it as all of your muscles are acting as a team to keep yourself upright. And when you have tight muscles, when you have some muscle imbalances, that can lead to a delay and a loss of balance, which I mean, on one end is going to you know help prevent falls and that sort of thing. But for higher level performance, you rely a lot on balance. And if you're not efficient in your balance, then that's going to you know pose a uh, gap in your performance. Now, it, the hard part is when you're training balance, and if you're listening or watching right now, you may be thinking, oh, I can stand on one foot. My balance is pretty good. Well, I highly encourage you if you are in that camp of, oh, I can stand on one balance. This is a very humbling movement. If you stand on one foot and grab a weight. So, you know, I would start light just in case three to five pounds, grab one weight and literally just pass it back and forth as you're standing on one side. Now, if you're like, oh, that's easy. Increase the weight, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, 20 pounds. I had one patient get up to 25. And you actually, if you actually try this movement, you will very much appreciate 25 pounds is a lot of weight. So 
it's these higher level balance things. So often we stop at this, I can stand on one foot, but how often are you literally just standing on one foot and only focusing on that? Mm -hmm. A lot of times you're focusing on tons of other things. So you have to train that way. And that's, I think the biggest gap. And honestly, again, coming back to, are you training your body in a way that's going to facilitate sports performance, but variety and balance are two of the things that don't normally come to mind, especially if you don't particularly have like a fitness background or a physical therapy background. And those are two things that can make a very big difference in your performance, the pain you're feeling, the recovery, all of that. I love that you mentioned that. And I love the examples that you gave that people can, you know, try out already with brushing their teeth or with just, you know, passing around, you know, objects from one hand to the other. Um, I think it makes it very attainable and achievable within just their home environment, even if they're not at the pickleball uh, courts right away. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of all of this, but I know a lot of individuals that I'll talk to will ask, well, this is great for like when things are feeling good and I feel like I have the energy to try and do these exercises and workouts. What would you offer to individuals who are maybe experiencing an acute re-exacerbation or a flare and they're needing something to help provide some pain relief in the moment? Pick one or two gentle movements. Now, of course, it's going to depend on what joint it is, how severe the pain is. But I mean, you can do exercises literally sitting on your couch. Just say, for example, for your knee, you could literally bend your knee up and straighten it just as much as your body allows for. It doesn't have to be max. But I think the most important part is it's not always rest. Mm -hmm. Just because you're in pain doesn't mean your body needs rest. Pain is an indication of something needs to change. Either, you know, I've done too much, haven't done enough, done something that I just wasn't prepared for, et cetera. But in order to continue to promote healing, to continue to promote pain relief, there are, of course, tons of other things you can use, ice or heat. Um, A lot of people I meet prefer heat, but that's more of a personal preference at that point. A lot of other things like relaxation, maybe in a hot bath or something. There are other pain relief things you can do. It's not always movement, but movement is one of the things that usually gets pushed to the wayside. Um, And literally finding one or two movements. You do not need to go through a full routine. You do not need to go through a full workout. One or two simple movements that actually feel good can be really powerful to aid in your healing, aid in your relief. and. I think sometimes people get hung up on, you know, I can't do a workout. I'm in pain. I'm just going to, you know, sit on the couch or I'm just going to rest it. Mm -hmm. But spending just a couple of minutes doing something can be really powerful. But I want people to know that more is not always better when it comes to movement, especially if you're in this highly irritated state Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be complicated. It can just be as, as simple as kicking your leg out as you're sitting there, um, or doing a march, or like I said, bending your knee up and down. I mean, I think we lose sight that just the simple things can really be powerful. I have people who just sidestep if they're in pain and can tolerate, you know, standing. We of course don't want to increase pain. And I don't want you to try to do certain movements while you're increasing pain to think, you know, it'll probably just go away. We don't want to continue to irritate it. So it's important to find things that don't flare up your pain. And I have tons of different 
movement ideas on my YouTube channel, because of course, everybody's going to be at a different stage. But I want you to know that odds are you can find something, whether it's laying down, seated, or (laughs) seated, standing, that actually feels good. You just have to keep just somewhat open mind about it, but literally just finding one movement that you can do, you know, I'm having increased pain, but I know that, you know, this certain movement, if I do it a few times will help. That's what we want to find. And then of course, using some of the other um, pain relief solutions too. Yes, absolutely. And I really appreciate what you said about how pain is really just informative, that something needs to change. And I think a lot of times we get really hung up over, oh, pain means that everything is wrong and I need to guard and protect myself from doing it or I'm causing more damage. Exactly. But I think that, you know, you touched on it really well that even just a little bit of movement, less is more, but don't do nothing at all, (laughs) essentially. And so um I I really appreciate just the very accessible small movements that people can get started on, even if you know, it's just seated or um, standing and maybe they're trying to make their way to a couch, just small movements one at a time and find what's comfortable for you. So you had mentioned your YouTube channel and I wanted to give an opportunity because you have so much great um, information, (laughs) many many resources. (laughs) Yes. Um, And, you know, people can find you on essentially any platform, but I'd love for you to share more on um, how they can find you and what, um, what to kind of look out for. So Instagram is probably the best place to start. I think one of the most important things that you kind of touched on earlier was making things accessible and just understanding the power of very simple movements. Um, And so I post a ton of just really short routines, really short movements um, that you can do on my Instagram. And I'd probably start there because that's probably the account I'm most active on. It's Adventure Alive is my username. Um, So I'd start there. I'm like you said, I'm everywhere. So if you just search my name on any platform, you'll probably see it. TikTok, Pinterest, YouTube. Um, if you want longer form stuff, I'd go to YouTube, but I'd start with Instagram first um, and then kind of make your way around. Yes. I love it. And she really truly does have like a plethora of information out there for any of you guys that just want to get started. Alyssa is very bingeable and it makes it really exciting. Like I, every time I see her um, reels come across my Instagram, feed, I'll like do the exercises with her just in the moment. Cause it gets me moving if I've been yes. scrolling too long anyway. So um, I want to offer that to all of you guys to check her out and give that a try. Um, aside from that, do you have any free resources? Let's say I have somebody listening listening or watching that wants to check something out and, you know, get involved right away with some of the, you know, maybe, um, any, any free resources that you have, do you have anything that people can start looking into? Yes. So one of the things I would highly recommend starting out with is the free four day challenge. Um, it's essentially four days and you get four different workouts and, in those four workouts, they start at the very basic level and then work their way up. And I get a lot of people who are like, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty active. Like, can I skip the first couple? And I highly recommend going through one after the other, because you may be surprised at adding in different movements and moving in different ways, maybe that you fatigue more quickly than you would have thought, or maybe you thought your balance was good. But then when we do these other balance movements, these new movements, you may think, oh man, I really should probably work on that. So This is a great place to start. And if you go to arthritisadventure.com forward slash challenge, and I'll send you the link to that. um, I would say that would be a great place to start. 
And then from there, there are lots of other options. Um, but this is one way to start to say, hey, I can actually do this. I can actually move. I can actually feel relief or I can actually get started in a way that's going to protect my joints um, if you do not have osteoarthritis or current pain. Yes. Um, so that would be the best place to start. Yes, absolutely. And it's totally free. Yeah, it's it's great. I, I actually like signed up for it too, just to kind of see what Alyssa has going there. And I tried a couple of the videos and man, that first one, I love that. <laughs> it's so, it's so great. and so surprising. And, you know, coming from, you know, working with pickleballers and being a pickleball athlete myself, it's, it's going to have so much crossover for you guys. So I highly recommend signing up for that challenge. I'll put it in the descriptions for sure. But, um, thank you so much, Alyssa, before I kind of close out, is there anything else that you want to add anything else that you want to, um, offer? Really just highlighting the fact of, are you training your body for the sport or the activity that you're doing? Don't just get comfortable in a certain routine. I have people who are like, you know, I was given a physical therapy routine a few years ago and I just do that every morning. Now, some movement is good. And so I don't want to discourage that. But if you're trying to, you know, continue to play pickleball and continue to do these things, you have to take it a step further. And that's seeking out help, seeking out direction from a physical therapist, et cetera. Um, But you have to take it to the next step, especially if right now you're still experiencing pain or you're still not where you want to be. That's a sign that what you're doing likely isn't enough or it maybe isn't the right thing. So just thinking about it in that sense of maybe you need to change something up. Maybe you need to incorporate more power or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, Are you training your body for the sport that you're playing? Yes. I love it. And that's really the bottom line for everything that we're doing in life is if, if we're able to cross train and kind of train back up to, you know, the demands that we're getting at and the activities we want to do, then our body is not so intimidated by the amount of work it takes to do it because it's already used to it. So with that being said, thank you so much, Alyssa. I'm sure many of you guys listening and watching are going to have even more questions. If you want me to bring Alyssa back and answer some more of their questions, please drop it in the comments or uh, reach out to me at 805-429-4733. Just shoot me a text of your questions and we'll bring Alyssa back. If you have any other clarifying questions or comments that you want to share, please send that my way too. Otherwise, I'm going to drop all of Alyssa's social links and website information in the descriptions. And thank you so much again, Alyssa. This has been such a wealth of knowledge for the pickleball community. Yes, absolutely. Yay. All right. Now you guys know, we'll see you guys next time on the Pickleball Physio Podcast.